Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I said I like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Masi Asari is a theater kid. She's not a kid anymore. Although she does have such an uh, excitement about her that I can see the 16-year-old kid that wrote her own original jazz song to go perform it at a competition. And I just, I'm so interested in this whole other side of of music, Broadway, off-Broadway. And she has made a life out of that. She is in Chicago now, a professor at Northwestern, and she's teaching all sorts of stuff there, musical theater history, musical theater performance. But she's still very tied into the Broadway and off-Broadway world. She's a lyricist, playwright, composer, obviously a great singer. But she's just this very vibrant, positive, generous person. And she was afraid that she didn't fit into the cool wheels off clubhouse, but oh my goodness, does she ever. She's the perfect guest for Wheels Off, and I'm so glad that I got to speak with her. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Masi Asari. Welcome to Wheels Off, Masi Asari. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is great. And for the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? Yes, I'm here in very snowy Chicago at the moment. Nice. And I will point out, because this is an audio thing, most people, they won't be able to see it. You have some really beautiful flowers behind you. Oh, thank you. You know, this, the Zoom kind of makes them look a little nicer than they really are. They're, <laughs> I have some daffodils. They last like five minutes in this weather, but they are, they are cheering me up. So thank you. See, that's great. It's, it's all about that, finding the secret little things. Mm-hmm, well, and that's I, what I, sorry to interrupt you. That's what we were going to, right before we started recording, I started to tell you that I went online and I watched you, you wrote a song during all of this called Smaller Things that I thought was so beautiful that you put up Aww. on your website. 
Thank you. Thanks for listening to it. Yeah, I, I've been writing. I, you know, I usually write for the theater, as you know. I feel I did listen to your wonderful podcast, okay. the Ben Nichols episode, and I was like, oh my god, like I'm like the theater kid. Like, what am I doing? These are the cool kids. Like, I like, <laughs> I like turned the wrong corner. Why am I invited to this podcast? But no, like I've been so I usually write for the theater, but this pandemic, I've been writing a few just like standalone songs, and so that was one of them. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Well, you know, bit yeah. Ben Nichols is a rock and roller. Oh, and he talks come like this. on. But, <laughs> but we've got all sorts. We've got, and, you know, it's funny. Some of the ones that surprise me are talking with, I've spoken with a couple of like uh, sports broadcasters, like play-by-play announcer and a sports mm-hmm. writer. Well, I talked to Calvin actually from the oh, St. Cool. St. Mark's Literary Festival. But the the people who aren't as the people who don't do exactly what I do, that's mm-hmm. when I get really excited. The poets, the and in, in the case of you, I, I can barely even wrap my mind around what you do. Like I can understand teaching voice because mm-hmm. I've had some voice instruction, but um, like writing for the theater and like the lyrics and the book and then writing plays and it's it's a lot it seems like you do a lot of different things and um well i guess i'll start where we usually start here what are you working on right now and how does it light you up yeah well you know it's interesting i i thought you might ask me this question and i was like god what am i working on right now i i, I have like a million musicals that i'm like supposed to be rewriting and actually i you never know who's going to listen so yes all commissioners who have commissioned me i am rewriting them <laughs> Um, but I'm also teaching right now, and that's bringing me a lot of joy. Um, I work with undergrads here at Northwestern, and um, it's just nice to see their faces on Zoom, and we're talking about what is our industry that's like, <laughs> what is the theater right now? It's kind of like a conceptual situation, and um, and how do we make it better? How do we make it a more inclusive place, and what do we need to know about the history of our art form? So those are some things that I'm really, I'm really, I'm really loving. And then I have... Um, I've actually been doing a lot of meetings recently. You know, it does kind of feel like maybe, you know, with the vaccines on the horizon, like Broadway will reopen up, you know, like we will have more theater again. And so I've actually been having a lot of meetings about new projects, which is kind of cool. And just talking to people about things they're working on. And sometimes people call me to write music, sometimes to write lyrics, sometimes to work on story. And so anytime I get to talk to other artists, um, it just that that always brings me joy. And Broadway, the lead time is so long, right? So I imagine that's probably why people are starting to think about projects, because nothing that starts now will come to the stage for a couple of years, right? Yeah, it takes a long time. You know, I have one musical that I'm working on that's been in development for over a decade, and I came onto that just a couple of years ago. And now it's, you know, we were supposed to be in production over the past summer. So yeah, the lead time is long. It can take 10 years to develop a musical. It can take five years. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of why it's been fun to write like a song and then just like post it online. You know what I mean? Cause we don't get that. It's really, it's very much an iterative process. Yeah. Bo- believe me, that's, that's my life. I'm, I love writing songs and then just playing them like, Hey guys, want to hear this song I wrote? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds amazing. <laughs> um, so I wonder, like, for instance, there was the, uh, in a, in another interview, you talked about Starflower. Is that what it's called? There was yeah. um, 
there's a musical you're working on that's set in like the distant future. And it's, so that's something that's like an ongoing project for you that you've been commissioned to do, right? Yeah, no, I'm excited about this piece. I played this for some of the kids at St. Mark's where we did that residency. And because it's kind of like a sci-fi musical. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. Like I have like a secret agent musical. I wrote like a play for Marvel. Like some people are like, are you like the action? And I'm like, I don't know. Am I? So, but I have this sci-fi musical, which is set in like 2075 in this dystopian future, but which is kind of like now, you know, everyone's like living in pods, like not leaving their house. And um, except that there are these like giant concerts under this festival dome where these like holographic performers perform. So my show is about one of those um, holographic stars. Her name is Angeline. And she kind of becomes, she starts to become sentient, right? So she starts to manifest her own will. And then at the same time, there is this other character who's living kind of off the grid, like just not involved in this whole kind of virtual reality scene and comes to realize that she looks exactly like Angeline. So there are these two characters that basically have the same face. One is a holograph and one is human. And they encounter one another and and try to figure out what they're going to do about it. So, so that's actually, I did a concert in December um, with um, a really wonderful Broadway actress. She was in the prom on Broadway. They've since made it to a Netflix movie with different cast, but so she, um, she recorded both parts. So it was really cool because you could actually see this. I can, I can send you the link, but you can see this split screen video and um, she's playing both characters. So that's something that we wouldn't have been able to develop and like, I don't know who would have just been like, yeah, Mossy, here's your holograph. Like, let's go, you know? So like, I'm trying to work towards that with, and, and Stacey Mendich, the amazing uh, Broadway producer who's commissioned that. I, I hope that one day we will, we will get there, but yeah. Oh boy. And I hope, I hope Broadway comes back because it's, uh, it's funny. It's, it's a whole world that I don't understand, but I mean, it seems like reading about the different ways in which you've worked in that world and and on the outskirts i guess there's the off-broadway stuff and all the theater stuff that comes off of it it seems like you've figured out like a lot of different um jobs that (laughs) that makes sense oh my gosh i i sometimes you feel like you have to be like a swiss army knife i mean it's it's just i don't know how to i don't know how to say like if you just want to keep going and one door is closed you find another one you know that's kind of how it's been for me and I love, you know, irrationally, bizarrely, everyone in my family thinks I'm crazy. I love the theater. I love music. I love music telling stories. Um, I find it magical. And so I keep trying to find a way, a way in. So that's kind of what's why. It's not like I set out to be like, how, how many, how confusingly can I design my life? <laughs> <laughs> and also, and you're not, you're not just chasing like um, some sort of cynical idea of where you could make more money or whatever. Like you're just intrigued by these things. I mean, to to hear you speak about them and to look at the different things you do, my, my take from the outside is this is not some sort of cynical business move. This is just you wanting to do different things, right? Yeah. And to be honest, like you can't, you can't cynical your way into it. Like there's no, you can't, it's been my experience. Like the times that I've tried to be like, Oh, I'm going to make this like strategic move. It hasn't played out. You know what I mean? Like there's no, you can't predict what people are going to like. And also that's not art, you know? So you have, you really just have to trust where your heart wants to go. Boy, it's funny how often these conversations land on that exact sentiment, which is that anything that's calculated probably will fail just because of its calculation. Um, So I wonder, like, of all these things you do, um, 
when you were a kid, was there was there a moment where you knew you were going to do theater or music? Was there an epiphany moment where it all crystallized for you? Did you see it? How how early did that happen? Well, let's see. So I started taking piano lessons when I was little. Um, I think they put me in a class when I was like five. I have like some photograph of me like playing the piano with like one forefinger of each hand, you know. So I, I don't really remember that, but I remember taking lessons starting when I was seven. And I do remember being about eight, probably about eight years old and <laughs> being in school and everyone was like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be a composer. Like who, who knew what a composer was? You know what I mean? Like what, I don't think I knew what a composer was, but I have a vivid memory that I said that. And I always used to just like make up little songs on the piano. Um, I remember being in high school and, you know, like incredibly moody, like, embarrassingly moody. And there was one time where I was just like feeling so many things and I couldn't make anyone around me understand them. And I wrote a poem. I think I was having a fight with my parents. I actually should go back and ask them. I, and I couldn't communicate with them. And I wrote this poem and I just gave it to them and they kind of stopped and were like, okay, <laughs> you know, they, I, I give them a lot of credit because they supported me and they were like, oh, this is how Masi's going to express herself, you know? And so that it was, I don't even know, it was probably a horrible poem, but just the fact that that was another way that I could get out what I was feeling and that people would take notice. So I noticed that um, the first song song that I wrote for singing it's interesting. I was debating whether or not I should say this because it's kind of embarrassing, but <laughs> I will. Uh, when I was in high school, so my family's like really, my, my parents are like kind of like feminist, right? Like my parents met at UC Berkeley in the 60s, you know, they're like protesting things. So the fact that when I was in high school, I was like, mom, dad, I'm going to do this like junior miss competition, this like basically pageant. Like it was my way of rebelling. It was not acceptable in my family. <laughs> you know, they were like, what? <laughs> so I was like, I was like, we get to wear like pretty dresses and do stuff. So I wrote a song for the pageant. Well, actually before that, I, I sang for my mom what I was planning to sing. And she was like, mm. <laughs> she, just the expression on her face. It was like some show tune and I was like the gospel riff and I, I was not selling it. She was like, uh, okay. And so then I sat down and I wrote this little jazz tune and I sang that. I put a little flower in my hair like Billie Holiday and I played the piano and I sang and I won all the talent awards at my county and my state competition. So that was the first song song that I wrote. Wow, I love that. So you would you would have been a teenager when that all yeah, happened. I was like uh, 17, probably. Yeah. Oh, my God. That makes me so happy. Like how many kids are showing up with an original song that they wrote? I know. I was like that. Maybe that was calculated. I was like, if I write the song and I play the piano and I sing it, they'll probably give me the award. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think like acknowledging that you have a gift and that there's a specialness about it. That's I mean, that that can't be thrown into our calculation. That's true. shunning. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, like you said, it was the way it was the best way that I could express myself, right? Like taking this other song that was like what I thought I should be wasn't working for me. And so that was, I guess, the moment where I, I realized that. God, I love that. When when I think about um, why is art important and or, or just for me, like why are the songs that I write important? I always come back to utility, usefulness. And so like, even when you said the poem that you wrote and gave to your parents was probably terrible. I mean, sure. I guess if you were to bring it to a, you know, sophomore Sarah Lawrence class or whatever and have them rip it apart. But, <laughs> but at that moment it had utility, right. Yeah. And it, and it did what it was supposed to do. And yeah. as did your jazz song, for the 
junior miss <laughs> competition. I know. How embarrassing, right? You know what? I think it's the stories where we see ourselves like do something that was embarrassing that people like people need that. Like when if somebody's listening to wheels off, it's because they're interested in doing something creative and yeah. it's good for them to hear the dumb stuff that we do. It'd be embarrassing. It's true. It's true. And also like different doors are open. I mean, you know, people are thinking in such, you know, more open minded ways about gender now, but like there were like you go through the doors that are open for you. And that was one that was open for me and I went through it. So yeah. 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 And, and I don't know if you um, like because you deal with a lot of young, younger than us, certainly hopeful people. Um, uh, I wonder, like I've, I had a teacher from high school reach out and say, my nephew just graduated from Berkeley School of Music and he wants to talk to you about how to make it in music. And I'm thinking, I don't mm-hmm. even know where you would start in this day and age. Like everything is so mm-hmm. weird now. Forget even about the pandemic. But so like you've yeah. got these these kids that are filled with hope every day and but I I could see you would be a great teacher. I mean you you've you're very positive and I think that you're a good ambassador just, for art. I you know it's so funny like my students always want to write they always want to come to class and say like I saw this show and it was terrible. And I'm like what did you get from that? Like, what can you take from that? What can you learn from that? I am an incredibly generous audience member because I know how hard it is to get your show to production. So I generally, you know, come away and I'm like, well, this thing was good. (laughs) You know, like this aspect worked, you know, like that song was awesome as opposed to being like, well, this didn't hold together. I mean, I, I have my opinions, but I tend to, to try and think about, yeah, what's the positive. And I guess, you know, that happens to me too. People come to me and say, oh, I want to be an artist. I want to be an actor. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's not an easy gig, right? So you kind of have to know that coming in. And I'm actually teaching a workshop later this month for the Dramatists Guild, which is like, we don't have a union for um, writers and composers for the theater because we own our own work. It's a, diff- it's a difference between writing for the theater and writing for film where it's all work for hire um, and somebody else owns it. But uh, that's our, it's kind of like our union, our professional association, the Dramatist Guild. So I'm doing this workshop. They're, they're doing this national teach-in for art and healing. And I've been doing this workshop on sustaining your artist spirit, which is, I don't know, maybe it's not a perfect title, but just like, how do you keep your creative practice going when you, when times are hard, you know, when it feels like I can't. And I feel that so deeply, everyone experiences it in their own way, but I had a day job for, you know, basically 20 years before I landed where I am now. And I was going to graduate school and doing all kinds of things and trying to write and trying to sing. And um, I really, I really believe in, you know, the smaller things, like in that song, I really believe that if you do small things that they have value and it isn't just the big things that have value, but if you, if you have it in your heart to, to sing or to write, and you just do a little bit at a time, it can add up. One of the um, things I talk about in that workshop that I, that really inspired me is there was a, there was a famous poet named William Carlos Williams, who was also a physician. And so some of his most famous poems are really short because he wrote them on prescription pads in between seeing patients. So like that always encourages me. Like even if I have like a little piece of time, I can do something with that. And it still has value. Even if the world is like, you didn't write a whole, it's not a whole play, you know, I'm like, I wrote a verse, you know? (laughs) So anyway, meandering answer. No, one great verse uh, is better than, is greater than one, you know, mediocre play, right? <laughs> That's funny. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. But um, 
It's funny. Um, I think about that, right? The New York Times just had a big article about the long-term mental health effects of the pandemic, especially on young people. And I wonder if, you know, what what you teach, you know, um, composing, if if the, the, the songwriting that, that I do, that I do workshops on, I wonder if these kind of things, mm-hmm. these kind of like um, artistic pursuits that yield... Um, tangible results, things that we can sing mm-hmm. for other people, play for other people, share with other people that, but they come from a place of like really deep um, personal, uh, even therapeutic that that can be a weird thing. But like, if, if mm-hmm. we use them to help ourselves uh, combat despair, you know, like, like you were yeah. saying with your two new songs, the standalones that you wrote, like, I wonder if we are entering an era where people are going to turn to art for what, you know, for what I've always used it for, for what it sounds like you've often used it for, like mm-hmm. healing, self-healing. Yeah, yeah. It's so healing. It's so healing. Um, I don't have anything else to say. I think you're right. I think, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is. Like it, it allows us to feel present, to, to know that we are who we are and that that has, has worth, like that has meaning. You know, it's so easy to feel like, I just went to this talk a couple of days ago. I forget what it was. No, to who knows what time is at some point recently um, <laughs> with this amazing orchestrator, um, Harold Wheeler, who's orchestrated like um, the Wiz on Broadway. He's he got a lifetime achievement Tony last year. He um, just worked on Ain't Too Proud, the Temptations musical on Broadway, um, like, you know, worked in like 50 shows. And he said that when he gets depressed and wonders is, if he's any good, that he goes uh, for a drive and listens to music that he's orchestrated before. You know, it was just, I was like, oh my God, this man is like so clearly so talented. Like, you know, like speaking of, um, I think this might've been the song that I tried to sing that my mom was like, don't sing that for Junior Miss. And <laughs> I'm telling you, which is like the big closer from Dream Girls. So he orchestrated that, you know, like it's an amazing number. Um, you know, how would someone that talented feel like they don't have talent? But we all have we all have moments like that. But when we can just kind of like soak up the creativity that we've expressed, that other people have expressed, it helps us feel like we know where the ground is. Like this is my experience. It helps me know where the ground is. And 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 that's so important <laughs> right now where it's so hard to feel like we know our way forward, like we know what, you know, everything is changing. So just to feel like we have some ground, uh, I think is you're right. We're, we have to heal ourselves. It's funny. That's an image that comes up in smaller things too, right? Looking down and just seeing the ground, grounding yourself. That's my favorite part of these interviews is hearing how people deal with what you're describing Harold Wheeler dealing with, like, you know, the self-doubt, the um, the feelings of inadequacy, the the even the the weirder, thornier stuff that keeps coming up that I'm always surprised about, the um, success guilt or mm. the imposter syndrome stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, like, I wonder for you, what what you know, Harold Wheeler gets in his car, drives around, and listens to Dream right. Girls. What what <laughs> what strategies have you come up with for dealing with the the, the thornier moments? Yeah. You know, I um. I make a list. Like I, I've been doing this a lot recently <laughs> because, you know, there are always new challenges. You, you like ma- master some or you overcome some and then they're like new ones, you know, I'm like, I, and so I, um, I figure out what it is that I'm telling myself, like your writing isn't good enough or whatever it is. Like I, and, you know, I write it down. Like it's, these are the three things that are like stopping me. And then I rewrite them 
above that. And I'm like, uh, I just, I rewrite it. Like if I feel like it isn't good enough, I say, you know what? There are people that are responding to your music and it is touching people. You know, <laughs> it's like, just like, like, it's really elementary probably, but it actually really has, has an impact for me. You know, like it, then when that negative message comes up, I have an answer. I have an answer for it because I've already done the work to spin it out differently. That's one thing I do. Boy, and I love the sort of talismanic nature of writing it down and having it in. Like, I, sometimes you you hear about people write things down and then they burn the piece of paper that it's yeah. on. Whatever, there's something about the physical. <laughs> I love that you write it down. That's great. Well, I mean, and I also like I have been known to when I'm when I'm writing lyrics, you know, put a sign in my workstation that says like, don't be clever, <laughs> you know, like, like, because like, um, you know, if the lyrics are just like too like clever and rhymey, it's not good for the, it's often not good for the, for the theater. It's not good with the drama. It means you're writing your own personality. You're not writing the character. So I've been known to put little, little signs <laughs> in my workstation, like wh- whether it's like, don't do this or like you can do it, you know, or whatever, like just to like give myself these messages um, in my workstation. So yeah, I do. I do write things down. Oh, that's great. Boy, and I love the don't be clever too. It's something I think about all the time, right? Like it's uh, it's like sugar in a recipe. Some, great. Too much, yuck, right? Yes. And, and I think, because I've thought about this a lot, because that for that's um, it's a great temptation for me to like show the world how clever I can be. But that's the problem with it is because you're pointing it, the spotlight at yourself rather than the character in the song or the song yeah. itself or something. Exactly. Boy, it's that, yeah, anytime you want everyone to just recognize your brilliance, that's usually a bad sign. <laughs> I know. And that's why actually the good stuff comes when one does feel vulnerable, right? Because you can't be clever when you're just like feeling raw. <laughs> then yeah. it's just something honest comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think you might be particularly um, perfect for this question because you're dealing with kids of this age all the time. But so I wonder what advice you might give um, a 21-year-old you working in today's world? Oh, man, a 21-year-old. Well, it's so hard right now, right? Like the pandemic, it's so hard to know what the future is. I was just working on something this morning about like how to teach the next generation. And I'm like, I don't know what the theater is going to be like in like six months, you know? So I think that, practice of just openness. You know, we have to just be open. We can't think that we have all the answers. That's the hardest thing, right? Is being willing to always learn something new, being willing to just show up with what you have. I mean, this is, this is the practice of my art form. Like the actors have to do this day in, day out. You don't know if you're going to be cast. You just, we just did auditions actually for something, you know, you just have to show up, you know, whether it's in this Zoom interface or it's in person, you have to just be open. And it just occurs to me, I think that's some advice that I got when I was in high school was an acting teacher who said, you have to just show up, just show up and see what happens. Now showing up means different things when we can't always be in person. So you have to figure out what it means to show up right now for you. What's the thing that you feel like, no, I probably shouldn't, I, I can't try that. Well, maybe you, maybe you can, right? What's the, what's the thing that you're avoiding that might be the thing you need to do to just show up? Is my audio level okay? I feel like I'm getting quiet. No, you're great. Okay. You're great. <laughs> okay. So um, I think that's what I would say is we all, that's the practice. It's that ne- you never get done with it. Like you always have to like re-decide. 
I'm going to show up today. I'm going to be open. I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to, I'm going to be available to what uh, I need to express today, to what needs to happen through me today. It sounds so simple and it's so, so hard. You brought up something that I think about a lot again, which is that um, when you're scared of something, the answer is more often than not to lean into that thing. It's so annoying. I can't tell you how many times I've not wanted to lean in. And it's been so clear that that is what I needed to do. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, you brought up something again about uh, the, the, the future of theater. And yeah. I, I wonder, because I've... There's a lot of overlap between like what I've always done and what happens uh, on and off and around Broadway and theater. Um, so much of it is live and in person, right? Like mm-hmm. you can do something on Netflix that resembles what happens on a stage on Broadway, but what makes it part of what makes it magical on Broadway is the fact that a bunch of human beings went to that room, right? Like, yeah. I, do you think that... Because, I mean, I don't know anybody better suited to answer the question than you of, is the magic of Broadway essentially a live human beings coming together thing? Is that what makes it so special? I think so. I think it is. And, you know, I had this conversation earlier in the pandemic with um, this um, friend at my college who studies radio drama and like audio drama. And I was like, I was, cause I was like, what am I going to do? Do I have to write like radio musicals <laughs> now? Like, what do I have to do? And we had this amazing conversation where he said, you know, in the early days of audio drama, like the forties, I hope I'm getting that time period. Right. Um, there were a lot of theater artists that started working in audio drama and radio drama and writing these tele, uh, not teleplays, but like, you know, store, like basically plays, but over the radio. And they found that actually, the app, like the the listener, the audience member of an audio drama was really, really different from the audience member in a theater. And the audience member in a radio drama was kind of like an, someone reading a novel, being all alone in a room and like just having this like one-to-one relationship to what they were listening to. Kind of probably kind of like people listening to your <laughs> podcast, right? But um, but in the theater, you you have that experience with the people who are sitting next to you. You know, you see what the people in front of you are laughing at or not laughing at, you know, you're, you're part of this collective experience. And it is, I actually always say that my working definition of theater is that it's an act of collective imagining. And if, if it's not collective, if it's just me imagining, you know, that's actually, there's nothing wrong with that. That's valid. That's what I do at home before I take the show into rehearsal. But the really beautiful part is when we get to imagine it together, then something else kind of comes into the space, into the room that wasn't possible when it was just me alone. Uh, well, my fingers are crossed that we get back to a place where that's possible again soon, obviously. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, thank goodness, you know, we've got these workarounds. Thank goodness you and I are these holograms that get to <laughs> appear together. It's totally true. We did a workshop for a show. Working, I was supposed to be in production over the summer for um, a musical that I'm a lyricist on called Monsoon Wedding. It's an adaptation of a beautiful film um, by the director, Mira Nair. And um, so we were doing this workshop in September, because we didn't get to do all the final rewrites that we would have done, like during previews and all the tryouts. Um, And so we did this in in September and people were zooming in from like three continents, four continents. We have a lot of performers in India. Um, There was somebody zooming in, I think from London. Um, 
I'm in Chicago. People were in New York. Like it was, we were just all over like the time zones for like the schedule were insane, but, um, it was really, it was, it was stressful because you can't do music live, you know, with lots of people singing together in big group numbers. So we had to kind of do all these demos. We have an amazing orchestrator who works in that project, uh, Jamshid Sharifi, who's one of Tony's brilliant. So he made all these amazing tracks and we, and the actors recorded their parts from all over and we kind of did a rough mix and played that um, a lo- sort of every time there was a song, we played the, we played the track in the, and then there was a live zoom reading that kind of embraced that. And it was amazing how much you could feel something, you know, and I was really reluctant. Um, I knew it would be a lot of extra work <laughs> and I was worried that we wouldn't be able to tell what the thing really was, but um it was worthwhile and it made me really hopeful for when we're able to get back in the theater. Mm. So, so these processes have value. Like you said, I shouldn't be so, so negative on it. You know, um, we're still doing things. We're still thinking, we're still creating, you're still making music and performing, you know, and, and maybe it's not the ideal way that we wanted to do it, but we're sustaining ourselves. Right. Yeah. And that's what matters. And I don't get the impression that you're so negative at all. In fact, I'm really grateful that I got to speak with you because I feel like you've found a way to be positive in the midst of all this and productive in the midst of all this that I think is truly inspiring. So thank you so much, Masi. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, this is great. Um, hang in there. Take care of yourself. And um, I hope I get to see you in, in real life soon. Yes, I would love that. Thanks. Thank you, Rhett. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.